Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to an episode with Bite, as we are covering the greatest Canadian werewolf teenage girl film from the year 2000, Ginger Snaps. So join us as we follow the fates of two sisters after one of them gets the curse. Things get hairy. So spend about 75 minutes with the boys and ghouls duo. Get rid of any unwanted or unsightly hair. Have a bloody good time. And please enjoy Boys and Ghouls episode 65. All about Ginger Snaps. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell. A transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever so talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Okay. It is really, genuinely. By the way, one of my favorite movies. I'm not gonna like put anything on you, but yeah. the reason I've never seen House of the Devil is because like five years ago you said we'd watch it together. Oh, that's really. And then cute. we never did. We should. I, you know, I must have been really into it when I, uh, when I first. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I liked oh, it. Oh, there's fine. There's movies I owned that I watched once, and then like like Paris, Texas. Yeah. It's a really good movie, but I watched it once, and then I was like, I'm gonna buy it. And then I haven't watched it since. Marshall. Cat. I just wanted to say that because you are the one who always goes cat and like gets us down to business. And oh. I wanted to do it this time. Marshall. I'm Cat's sorry. all business. <laughs> I'm all business. All right. Well, let's get things started with Spooky Gab. November always has something because October just happened. Yes. And so we did some stuff together. We went to Universal like we do. Yep. Uh, we also went to Rotten Apples, and you had never been to the Burbank Backwoods Maze. I had not. Not in the woods. No. First of all. No. Nope. It should be the Burbank Backyard Maze. It should. But the Backwoods Maze sounds more intimidating. I wonder if, like, when they first started it, they had, like, a bunch of trees. <laughs> or a woodsy theme, because now it's, like, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it is. Some of it is. I'd love to know what they started with, like, so many years ago, and then, like, built out from... Because right now, it's just a bunch of, like, an alien ship crashed here, and this is what happened, and Radio this part has toxic waste. And these people are, like, creepy rabbits dressed in old-timey yeah. gangster suits. It's, I get the impression that's supposed to be, like, a future casino. Like, after the With mutations. With animal people. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's run by a giant rhino and a giant rabbit. I just had a revelation. Mm. So, I remember we kind of talked about it afterwards of, like, why that's so disturbing and why... you know, And I think I said to you... Yes, but just the animals in general and the colors. You also dislike the Toontown yes. ride. So at I Disneyland. related it to the Toontown ride at Disneyland, which for some reason just rubs me the wrong way. And I think it's just the kind of like hortily chortily music and like the bright colors and like how everything moves really fast. Like, hey, whoa, how are you doing? Like, there's something about it that just. 
Everyone's got their buttons. They do. They really press cats. Now, yeah. I just, though, had a revelation, and I, I think I realized part of why these people with the messed up bunny and rhino heads in their gangster suits smoking fake cigars creeped me out. Yes. And it, ju- it just occurred to me. The Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, the Joe Dante portion. Yes. So... Not that they looked quite like that, but I'm now realizing, I think my brain... When when he pulls the rabbit out of the hat? It's so disturbing. There is nothing... That's one of the things that traumatized me in my childhood. Like, top ten. Top ten. Okay. Easy. Yeah. Anyway, Backwoods Maze... That that was a very frightening portion. Very frightening. Especially for a child. But the Backwoods Maze was incredible. I mean, just... I had no idea what to expect. You had told me about it a couple years ago. And it had been on my list for a while. And part of the reason we actually made it this year... And by we, by the way, this is not a for-profit haunt. This is just something someone puts on their backyard. Nope. That's right. And so it's a, it's a mainstay. It's a mainstay. But I think part of the reason that, that I ended up finally getting there is because Matthew and Daniel and I sat down. Matthew and Daniel, who are the co-hosts of the Goosebumps podcast, welcome to Deadcast. You should listen. Mm-hmm. We sat down and like mapped out a Halloween calendar of like, here are some things we want to do because our schedules were all did, really Did you do this like really in tight. September? No, we did this like October 3rd or 4th. Okay. So a little, little into the month. And I think part of the reason is because Daniel is one of the co-creators of Creep Los Angeles. And this year yeah, they did a busy lore. busy time of year for him. Busy time of year. So we wanted to snag him when we could. And because we mapped out everything, we had a couple goals. One of the things that was included that I don't know if I've talked to you about was that Matthew and I went to Quentin Tarantino's, now, Quentin Tarantino's theater. He took it over, the New Bev, the New mm-hmm. Beverly. It, it's not called, like, the Quentin Tarantino Theater. No. It's still called the New Beverly, but we know. Yeah. We know who's signing the checks. Yeah. I know I've told you, I don't know if I've told this story on Boys and Ghouls, but the, uh. the night that Matthew and Daniel and I went to eat at El Coyote, which was the anniversary of the Manson, Tate LaBianca murders, we ate there because that's where Sharon Tate and... JC bringing people ate before they got murdered. I didn't know that. So we ate. I've been there twice. So we ate dinner there. And while we were there, I was on my way to the bathroom and Quentin Tarantino was at a table right by the bathroom. I never knew this. 100%. This was last summer. And not this past summer, but summer before. And we realized that. So El Coyote's right across the street from, from the, the New Beverly, yeah. which is now his, his theater. He bought it and does the programming for the most part. And they were showing a documentary like from the 70s about Charles Manson that night. So anyway. You're referring to the anniversary of the opening of the Haunted Mansion? That's correct. See our previous episode That's to right. align those dates. <laughs> so all of that was to say that Matthew and I went to see 1931's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde at the New Beverly in October. So with Frederick March? It is. And in fact, I said Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because that's how we all know it. But in the movie, they call him Dr. Jekyll, um, which apparently is the correct pronunciation. But what an absolutely fantastic film way ahead of its time. I feel like that's a cliche thing to say, but I had never seen it and it was absolutely incredible. Totally riveting for a movie from the thirties. That's like an early talkie to be that riveting. It was just like mind blowing to me anyway. All right. Two thumbs up. I went to see a movie from 1921. Why do you always have to one up me, Marshall? Not a competition. (laughs) There's a local organization that will put on Silent movies through a hand-cranked, at this point, I guess a hundred-year-old, refurbished, hand-cranked projector. And this is not the first time you've done this, is it? It's been my second. Last year around Halloween, they do it like three times a year. They always have like one in October. Request, tell me next time. Okay. You hear about it, I would love to go. Continue. Sure. Last time, 
because it's in a church, there's a church organ and they played an organ along with the Phantom of the Opera last year. And I'd never seen the Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera. That was really cool. This year, a much lighter fare, they played a short. They, they played a short last time also. That was a, a Laurel and Hardy short with like some spooky graveyard business. And then for the main feature, uh, 1921's Haunted House with Buster Keaton. So it was just a, a fun time. That's so fun. And it's put on by people that love it. You know, I don't think anyone's getting rich off of this. Um, so, so there. <laughs> awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, I want to go next time. And I also went to a puppet show. I finally made it out to the, it turns out it's not the Bob Barker marionette theater. It's the Bob Baker marionette theater. Who thought it was the Bob Barker? Me. For, <laughs> for as long as I've heard I've of it. I've never heard of it, so you still win. It's, I don't it know. It showed up in my like weird Los Angeles books. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're referencing books, not listicles on the internet. I'm sure it's on the list. This is why I keep you around. Also, my friend Fran saw that they were doing a show based on Tales from the Crypt. Turns out it was based on the EC Comics Tales from the Crypt. And that was the first half. So they like got up and did like dramatizations and there was some like puppet work. Cool. Marionette work. Like they'd kill the lights and then there'd be these like glowing skeletons like walking around. Then the second half, which was not advertised, they kind of put aside the whole Tales from the Crypt angle. Then they did... Okay, last month we did the Disney's Haunted Mansion Mm -hmm. as one of our topics. They did like a a reading of what it would have been if they'd gone with the Blood Family scenario. Whoa! Yeah. And then they brought out the guy who narrated the album. I know we didn't talk about this, but there was an album... Chilling I, Sounds of the Haunted Mansion? No, no, that's Not different. Not that one. Because uh, I have that one. Where a couple of teenagers get, get oh, stuck in the rain. Uh-huh. And one of them is Ron Howard. I remember reading about that. Yes, I remember reading about that. Young Ronnie Howard. And it's like, let's get inside this old mansion. So they brought out the guy who did the voice of the narration. Wow. Originally. Not the ghost host. Uh-huh. But a different guy who was just like, these teenagers, you know. Was he very old? He's very old. And, you know, he got the applause he deserves. Yeah. And he did all of his old lines, which, because of our topic, I had been listening to that yeah. album, just like on my iPod. Um, that's incredible. So there, that, that's one of the things. That's really magical. Also, I checked out a small home haunt in Van Nuys called Spooky Hollows. I've heard of that. It's it's well put together. Again, now, was it a yard display or a haunt? A yard display, through? and then in the front, uh-huh. party in the back. <laughs> <laughs> And then in the backyard, it's, it's a haunt that you can walk through and, you know, get scared a few times and just sort of get, you go in a big U around the house, turns out. But in the front yard, uh, ladies and gentlemen, all us uh, L.A. spooksters and children at heart are a little put out this year because Boney Island Ugh. has closed due to security concerns. I know we've talked about Boney Island on mm-hmm. the sh- podcast, yeah. for sure. Now, I think security concerns is putting it, well, I guess that's probably a sort of accurate, but but essentially the city is putting the squeeze on them, right? And saying like, you sure, ha- you, have you can do it, but you have to hire the police, close the roads, and all of it was something to the tune of like $100,000, which they obviously don't have. Yeah. Very so, depressing. The Grinch stole Boney Island, which was a, a wonderful front yard display, but... That's putting it mildly. Yeah. But while I was at, and, and I sort of, I was like, they'll be back. But then I was told that they were auctioning off some of their set pieces. And while I was at Spooky Hollows, they had one of their set pieces, 
which is uh, was like a yeah. You sent me a picture. Boney Island was all skeleton, and this one in particular was just a little one of many little things you could look at where it was a skeleton that was supposed to be making these very elaborate shadow puppets. <laughs> so his hands would move I up and down. I remember that one. Yeah. And then there was a projection next to it of all the crazy things his hands were supposed to be making. Mm-hmm. And you could tell it wasn't just store-bought because it would form the words Boney Island sometimes. And then it would be like a dragon and then like a ship or a barking dog. Or... It makes my heart hurt. And next to it was even like that the card that uses some kind of a pun. Mm-hmm. You know, like... To tell you what you're looking at? Yeah, some kind of uh, his name would be some kind of like Maestro Bone. Maxilla the Great, like that yes. poster you have in here. Or yeah. uh, well, I've got, no, I've got the Conjuring Clavicle up oh, on the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like the magician one. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just super glad that pieces got, of yes. Boney Island have been spread out, and at least this piece has gone to like people who would just keep it around, keep it looking nice, keep it out of the rain, give it some love. Yes, you know. and I think also we should be thankful that we were able to experience it while it was still going. Because this is the kind of thing that, like, you know, people have videos of it and everything, but, you know, there was nothing like being there. I remember going, you taking me for the first time and just being like, this is incredible. Yeah. So, so cool. Future transplants to Los Angeles will be jealous when we tell them that they missed Boney Island. They better be. Yeah. For two sisters. Together forever. United against life as we know it. With an appetite for the macabre. I'm slitting my throat. You should definitely hang. All it takes is one night. And one bite. Let's get out of here. Did I change last night? How would the moon? Ginger's changing. How do you feel? Wicked. All right. Katmandu. Yes, sir. The November topic. You usually pick our November topics. I do. But we kind of moved things around a little bit and... We've previously made the promise that, like, our next topic's going to be Ginger Snaps, the werewolf movie. Tune right in. And then it just didn't happen. (laughs) And then we did, well, then for October, we had to do Halloween. And now November, still Ginger Snaps. We're ready now. And the movie is set in basically, like, the end of September and then all of October. Yeah. Because they'll show you the little calendar. That mm-hmm. she's Xing off as mm-hmm. the month goes on, and it ends with Halloween. Yeah. But it is a very November-feeling movie to me. Sure. Um, just because it's still autumn, but it's a cold autumn. I love that you could watch Ginger Snaps easily in October. Like, I didn't realize that before I watched it. By the way, it was my first time seeing the movie, not Marshall's. Yeah. You've been talking to me about it for years, and I heard about it for years it just never happened but i i didn't really know what to expect i kind of went in mostly blind other than bullet points so i didn't realize it was going to be a super awesome halloween you could totally watch it in october but i agree with you there are a lot of woods i think the idea of like a full moon and crisp woods and like it's in canada and it's cold it's like yeah this is perfect perfect for november touched on this notion before how during the school year it gets cold Mm -hmm. you're running around in jackets most of the time at least like for the first you know two-thirds of it And it gets dark early, even aside from like daylight savings, just 
the nights get longer during the school year. I remember just you get home from school and it's just dark. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that in movies. It's usually like school bell rings, plenty of daylight left to walk around in your short sleeves. Yeah. Whether it be set in Haddonfield, Illinois, or Bailey Downs, Canada. That's where this was Bailey Downs. set. Or wherever uh, Ridgemont High was supposed to be. <laughs> A lot of my own Pennsylvania memories involve it getting you know dark early and getting cold during much of my uh, school experiences. Yeah. Enough to feel that it's been underrepresented in media. I hadn't thought about it, but I agree with you. Well, you know what? Me too. Until you see it. Sure. And then I'm like, yeah. I've been missing that thing I didn't know I was missing. And not only that, but like you get home and your mom's like, hey, I'm going to the store. Why don't don't you help me at the grocery store? And you're just shopping for groceries at night. (laughs) And it's not like the chimes of midnight, but it's dark out. Mm -hmm. Okay. First topic. Well, I don't know which one should be first. Which one should... Uh, go long underwear and then food as a reward. This is a straight-up Canadian movie. Not like an American movie that went to Canada, but it was made by Canadians, starring Canadians. Funded by the Canadian Film Board or whatever. You know, how some other countries actually fund filmmakers. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they it's a very Canadian film. Yeah. They don't switch it up and just be like, oh, we're in Washington, and then just, you know... Use green money instead of red money and just change yeah. out the license plates, which is right. easy enough to do. But no, they unabashedly Canadian. Totally. Which is very evident from the um, special features. Yeah. When you're and hearing the director and the writers and, you know. Oh, yeah. Whew, they're Canadian. Gentle accents. <laughs> and so if you're going to have like a, a werewolf prowl in the woods coming into the burbs. I can really believe it in the Great White North. Yeah. Take off, we were doing our movie. So we haven't really said what the movie's about. It's a werewolf movie. It's a werewolf movie. I've just been telling people it's a teenage girl werewolf movie. Totally. Which, you so I remember, what's his name, John Fawcett? Is that yes. The, the name of the director slash, I guess, co-writer? He had the idea of the story, but there was a woman who wrote. Yeah, he said, here's what I want. And he went to a woman who did not care for the horror genre, mostly because of like women's place in horror movies. And said, like, that's why I'm coming to you. I feel we're remiss if we don't name Name this person. So, yeah, we said the name of the director, John Fawcett. Um, Fawcett. Karen Walton. So, John Fawcett on the special features talks about that he realized we'd never seen a female werewolf story. Cool. That was kind of the, like, nexus of his idea. Yeah. But then, maybe you can remember this better than I can, he had this, like, explosion brain moment of, like, wait a minute, periods menstruation, the lunar cycle, female cycles, werewolf cycle, moon cycle, he he suddenly realized what movie they were making and how it all should tie together. Well, and a, all, a third person's credited with that particular revelation. We can clarify that in a second, but I just want to make the connection to oh, yeah. Stephen King oh. when he was coming up with the idea for Carrie. He talks about it in On Writing where he had this idea about telekinesis and then this idea of With a girl. the onset of puberty right and then like suddenly the ideas crashed together and he realized what the story was and it seems like that's what happened here well there's a guy named ken chubb with two b's which one was he on the special features was he the like really pale guy with that the... was the editor that was the editor i have no idea what this guy looks that guy like was really freaking canadian i picture him as being chubby but that's just because his name's, his name's chubb chubb chubbs peterson <laughs> The writer talks about him in her commentary. There's a director commentary. There's also a writer commentary and a full boat of Did you watch features. multiple commentaries? 
Two? Two's Damn. multiple. That's a lot. He's credited as the story editor, and I don't know what all he did, but his major contribution was paralleling full moon, werewolf, lunar cycle, menstrual cycle. Right. And once that thought grenade so genius got introduced to the play the writer was like yes and then the director was like yeah there we go and any connection they could really put in for puberty and menstruation and the involuntary change of becoming a werewolf and the involuntary change of puberty particularly female puberty just got like layered in with each other yeah and juxtaposed and that I mean, I'm surprised they didn't go in with that idea just because it's like, well, why wouldn't you start with your most brilliant idea? Right. I guess they had to work their way to it. Yeah. I like hearing Karen Walton in the, you mentioned, I just want to circle back to your mention of how she said that she wasn't really a horror fan. Yeah. And she questioned whether she was the right person to write the script because she was like, I don't really know. And John Fawcett was, the director was like, but see, that's why you should write it. We need a fresh take. And what have you seen that turns you off yeah. about those things? And do the opposite of that. And that seems to be the direction she took it in, which resulted in some really strong-ass female characters who, like, passed the Bechdel test and, like, you know, at every friggin' scene and just about, not that that's the end-all be-all, but... Sure. There were a lot of choices that were done as reactions to other movies that had come before. One being, like, what role would the guy play? And they wanted him to have a certain fate because in other movies he'd have an opposite fate. Mm-hmm. So it was less about that character, more about how that character had been represented in the past. And the treatment of dogs in horror films, and all films, usually, I mean, the greatest example of, of how they live, despite all consequences, is Independence Day. How the whole city gets wiped out, but that, <laughs> that one dog just escaped at the last second. Wasn't it like a golden retriever, too? Just like a Nothing you want to see die. beautiful dog. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah. And I don't want to see dogs die. Uh, no, God, but no. You've got a werewolf loose, and they wanted to go another direction with werewolves, and go right ahead. Mm -hmm. Which is, once you turn, you're just that forever. Mm. And you've got a month to turn during. Right. And that's what happens. So you got the two teenage girls, and one of them gets bitten, and over the next month, she's slowly turning, and her sister is very concerned and like trying to stop it and trying to keep a lid on things <laughs> but that gets pretty hard as her sister changes more and more i've got weird hairs so what that means i've got hormones and they may make me butt ugly but they do not make me a monster so you got bit by a great big hormone well, not by what you think they don't exist so Catherine but, isabel plays okay. ginger she's um, got red hair she's got red hair and then emily perkins plays bridget her younger sister Barely younger. They're in the same grade, but Bridget skipped a grade. She's like a year and a half younger, yeah. but she skipped a grade. So, so now they're in class together. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out that Emily Perkins played Beverly in the 1990 It yes. TV movie, which for the first like 10 minutes of the movie, I was like, why does she look so damn familiar? And then I looked it up and I was like, whoa. She was in It. She was also in like an X-Files episode. To me, um, she's because I watched it so much as a kid. Like that's that's who she is. She's the young Beverly Marsh. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a push right now to make her Beverly Marsh again. Oh man! But looking at her, those special features, she was heavily featured in the special features on the Blu-ray that you loaned me of Ginger Snaps, and man, she grew up real pretty. Yep, she is beautiful and just kind of like well, especially glowing because and lovely. Extra so because 
as the character she plays, like we just watched her for like, you know, two hours playing not an ugly girl, but a hidden girl. Like now that I'm an expert on this movie, I know that she had very short hair at the time. Mm -hmm. So they gave her this long brown wig. Yeah, that was very distracting. Which the whole time they cover her face with until she starts to come into her own. And then like her hair is out of her face and she's actually looking people in the eye. But she's under just layers of clothes, not just because she's in Canada and it's cold, which that's part of it. But her and her sister aren't traditionally goth. And they existed a little before that sort of Tim Burton goth. And they existed just timeline wise a little before emo and goth got fused. <laughs> I remember when emo meant something else. <laughs> I remember when it was just more of like a Weezery sweater and glasses kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then it got dark all of a sudden. Sure. Goth's darkness is nihilistic, whereas emo's is cynical. Wait, I thought we were cynical. W whatever, it doesn't matter. No, see, you're nihilistic. Oh, yeah, you're right. But they're none of these things. Mm -hmm. They're more of their own thing. I mean, they went out of their way to be their own thing, but they're definitely death-obsessed. Mm -hmm. They dress kind of old-fashioned, would you say? No. No? I would have, honestly, I would have... Um... They're going for like, like a gray gardens... Long skirt. I would have gone for They're grunge just trying to... before I would have gone for emo or goth, even though the word goth was used like in the special features by some of the filmmakers. I think just as a shorthand. They just kind of look, they have baggy, big, kind of grungy looking Some clothes. of that grunge might just be candy. Darker. Definitely sure. dark. Yeah. Edward Gorey was a sure. word that got tossed oh, around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the perfect description. Okay. Um, now, I wanted to just piggyback on something, because you mentioned how Bridget's hair, they sort of move it out of her face a little as the movie progresses. As she evolves as a character. Totally. And it's worth mentioning that though the film is called Ginger Snaps, and Catherine Isabel, who is beautiful and amazing in this role, and great, I love her. And you might have seen her in Freddy vs. Jason and American Mary. Oh, I love American Mary. She's great. But ostensibly you would think that she's the lead i guess but what the filmmakers did purposefully in the writing and the direction and all of it is bridget's really the kind of star of the show she's the one who kind of takes the back seat in the beginning ginger's a much more forceful character but bridget as you said comes into her own and kind of becomes this really well-rounded character who by the end is like really fighting for herself when she was kind of the more timid one to begin with which i really love poor b I'm growing up, and obviously you're not, huh? Well, don't let me hold you back or anything. Oh, well, don't worry. I won't. Also, on a broader level, this is often pointed to as a really feminist horror film, and you can make all kinds of arguments in either direction, but at the end of the day... More, more than most. More than most, for sure. And I would argue films in general tend to be male-centric, and mm -hmm. it's just the way the world is. But Emily Perkins, who is heavily featured in the incredible special features on this uh, Shout or Scream Factory yeah. DVD Blu-ray that you and I both watched, she talks about how that set, like she'd been on other sets. She'd been, you know, it came out in 1990. This was 2000. So she'd been a working actor for over 10 years at this point. Mm -hmm. So she had enough experiences on film sets to know. And she mentioned that... It was kind of palpable that the men on set, the, you know, fellow actors were kind of, you know, aware that they weren't the they center weren't the big of, cheese. yeah, they weren't the center of the story. This was a story about these women. And she said, you know, whereas on other film sets that she'd been on, 
the men kind of like, you know, when the cameras are off, kind of like boisterous run the show, but there was an air of respect and a feeling working on Ginger Snaps that like the dudes were like, oh shit, this isn't our movie. Yeah. Which as a woman makes my heart just grow seven sizes. And thinking about this movie, I get kind of emotional because I think it's just so just like great in so many ways and so unique in so many ways. I'm glad you like it because yeah. I... Always thought you would. Yes, but, you but did. For you told me reason, for years that I would really love it. And I think you owned it for a while as part of like someone gave you just a bunch of bootlegs. Yeah. And you're like, I'll get to it. Yeah. It's always been on my list. But this is why I love Boys and Ghouls because mm-hmm. it forces me to expand my horizons. Awesome. Yeah. So the two are death obsessed. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Let's talk about how the movie opens. Besides the opening sure. scene where a dog is like brutally torn apart. Well, uh, well we, we don't see it happen. We learned that something has been killing dogs. They're calling it the Beast of Bailey Downs. I think there's like, like a bunch of Mr. X at first. Maybe you're supposed to think that like the girls did it because you first see Bridget. Oh, with yeah. Just all these implements Walking of death. Walking creepily with like weapons, chainsaws, things out of her garage, like looking around suspiciously. So you're right. like, uh, did she kill the dog? Yeah. And both sisters, by the way, have like a bird skull around their neck. They have throughout the film. And Bridget, one of them has a pen that's like a femur shaped like a bone. Yeah. And then like, I'm pretty sure Bridget has a ring that I never could exactly tell, but it looked like it had a tooth on it or something. Maybe. Let's just say they're outfitted with dark accessories sure. for sure. But also intentionally, like they were never seen listening to a particular music or with like band posters on their walls or... Oh, that's a good point. Or like watching particular movies. It was all their own thing the two of them have been together for their whole lives creating their own universe mostly as a reaction to the rather bland <laughs> capital b bland suburbs around them and from, from which they see no escape and they're exceedingly quotidian parents quotidian everyday events that are normal and not that exciting so what they're really up to with all these implements of death then you start thinking like, oh my God, are they going to have a suicide pact? Which they have this sort of rhyming suicide pact with each other. That, that they've like, had since they were eight or something. And they're, they're now like six, 15, 15 and 16. Yeah. It's like, wow, they're really just going to, you know, how, how long is this movie? If they're just going to kill themselves right now. <laughs> Turns out, haha, joke's on us. It was a photo project for school. And in the photo project is them dead in various ways. Some of the coolest opening credits I think of any movie I've seen. The With music is really cool. It's sorrowful just sorrowful strings. And I'll tell you, sorrowful strings and these photos of them in various states of death, like impaled on a white picket fence, drowned in a bathtub, but they don't look like cheesy photos. They look real. Like a they bunch look of professionals really, took them, perhaps. Well, sure. Yeah. But I mean, we're meant to understand these are teenage girls who are death obsessed, but the work that they do, that the film portrays them as doing with these photos, is really darkly accurate. It's not comical at all. These photos no. look like they um, are maybe the dead. Maybe the But they look like dead bodies. Like, the makeup that they've done, it looks really messed yeah. up. And I'm sure... And they were mostly supposed to be suicides, like... Yeah. Slash wrists. They weren't supposed to be murder scenes. Right. And, Which, and, and that was the whole credit sequence. It was the whole credit sequence, and it should be noted, just because we always like to contextualize things in time and culture, that Columbine happened in April of 99 in Yeah, while in they were in Colorado, pre-production. While they were in pre-production. It caused them a lot of troubles. Right. So I don't know the entirety of how films are produced in Canada. I'm sure there's a combination of independently produced films and films that are produced by the government, mm-hmm. or at least funded. 
And there were, like, people petitioning and complaining that their tax dollars were going to pay for a film with teenagers who were obsessed with violence. In, yeah, which you know, was a hot-button issue. Columbine. It was like, yeah, and so it caused them a lot, of, a lot of issues. Also, as far as casting directors... Oh, yeah. I actually ratted they them out. They basically got blackballed. They couldn't find casting directors who would work with them. The yeah. ones that they were familiar with were like, nope, not touching this. And so they had to, like, go further. And, and then reach. securing locations. Mm-hmm. They needed to shoot in a school, but school locations were like, nope. It's so interesting. Not us. But they got it done. They got the film done. Yeah. But, but if, that's a if all you read bit. is the first ten minutes of the movie, you're just like, no, thank you. Yeah. Seems in poor taste at the time. I am completely sickened. Eh? Sickened by that. Wasn't I? Hmm? So the two girls go out in the dark. <laughs> because it's after school, after dinner, mom and dad go out to counseling. And they go out in the dark to make the girl they don't like, make her think that her dog had been killed. Also, it should be noted that at dinner, Mimi Rogers, who plays their mother, is asking yeah. Ginger why she's rubbing her back and asking her where it hurts and saying, oh, honey, do you think it could be cramps? Because she's so excited for them to start yeah. their periods and they haven't started their Both periods yet. Both of are running yet. statistically late as yeah. far as getting their periods. Yeah. I was 13 and a half, by the way. All right. That's, so. I believe, average. Perfect timing. Okay. Yeah. But you couldn't have told me that as a sidebar. I was desperate to start my period. I thought I never would. I said to my mother... I'm just never going to start my period. I know it. Because in a, you know, a year or two years, three years is an eternity. So by the time I'm like 12, I just Were the thought it other was never girls just like sort of announcing it kind of one at a time? Yeah. Some of my girlfriends were more developed for sure and had started already. And I just knew that I never would. And of course I did just right on time. Our little girl's a young woman now. So after this comment from the mom, which they're both like, Ugh, mom. Oh, shut up. Ginger's so mean to her mother. And she just cares and, and wants, she's excited yeah. for her girls to become women. But they set off after she's after dinner. a very homey woman, you might say. Absolutely. Uh, very arts and crafts, keeping a, a beautiful home. Not a perfectionist. Like she's, no, she's a realist. Like you mentioned, she and her husband are in couples counseling. We learned that. Yeah. She's not about being obsessed with perfection, but she's a caretaker. she's not ashamed of her daughters. Absolutely. She's not like, oh, my gothy daughters living in the basement. No, if anything, she's like, well, this is who they are right now. They're yeah. going through it. They're teenagers. She's, she's the mom who knows that there are stages to development, and this is just a thing they're going through right now. And they're right. like, shut up, mom. She's like, okay, honey. Stay out of my room. <laughs> of course, later when one of them is trying to hide her body werewolf transformations, she's just like, Jesus, can't you knock? Don't you Jesus me. You don't have anything I haven't seen before. That's what you think. What is that supposed to mean? Nothing. I'm just... I'm fat, all right? Get out. Ginger, you are not fat. These these fashion models are all on speed to look like that. Get out! Sorry, but I sidebarred us just because I didn't want to go to their scene in the woods where what happens without happens. Without really knowing without who these people setting, are? Well, no, without setting up that she is, in fact, about to start her period. Yep. That's what attracts the Formerly, werewolf. she was premenstrual. She was premenstrual. And now she is menstrual? Yes, menstrual. A cluster of blood vessels awaiting a fertilized egg, providing a safe, warm place for that egg to grow. And if a life does not occur, the whole thing is flushed away and the cycle begins again. It was pointed out in some of the things I was reading that oftentimes, or most of the time, movies, TV shows... They will quite often refer to women as having PMS. That's a thing that's like colloquially talked about a lot. Oh, she's got PMS. I like think they'll when throw it, when that it, around. When it entered the common vernacular, let's see, like 
like one at a time, things involving the body and sex sort of got declassified. And then that thing, whatever it was, whether it was menstrual cycles or homosexuals or whatever, would then become the butts of lots of jokes. This is my own theories. Because now we were allowed to talk about it as a society. I, yes. I, so, I think you're right. I think I'm also right. So let me finish this thought. Uh, okay. I don't disagree with you. But what I'm saying is still to this day... Mm-hmm. It is a common thing to be to hear on television or in the movies. People referring to women as being, oh, she's crabby or she's got cramps. She's she has PMS. It is not a common thing still Mm. for people to say she's on her period because that is a topic that people don't touch. The actual act oh, the actual, okay. of bleeding and menstrual because PMS is pre-menstrual. That is well, pre- if, if you want to talk about just movies, you know, just on the rag is just that blanket term, right? But even that, that gets thrown around even quite that, a bit. You don't. I just. I just. I don't think you hear it as much as you think you do. It probably okay. stood out the times that you've heard it. But I'll bet you, if you did like a mathematical analysis of how often people will refer to a woman as having PMS and how often they'll refer to her as actually being on her period, it's a more verboten kind of a thing to talk about. Hmm. All my point with All that right. is, I appreciate this movie for so many reasons. One of which is that they don't shy away from a talking about it b showing blood dripping down her leg in this scene that you're talking about she's like oh shit i started my period as you actually see it as a fella i'm not saying i need to see it sure i'm saying i'm happy to see it because why does it have to be considered to be so gross and weird when it's a thing that happens to maybe slightly more than 50 percent of the population once a month yeah this is not the last time i'll hop on that soapbox but continue as a fella who has no menstruation. I only see it in movies when it's irregular. You know what I mean? Like when, when someone's missed a period because they might be pregnant? Missed a period, getting it late in life, unusually heavy. Mm. I'm, it's, it's, I'm, I'm never it's tr- not my fault if I have a heavy flow and a wide-set vagina. <laughs> I'm never, oh, uh, mean girls. I'm never treated to the statistically average menstruation. Well, sure. That's a great point. And I think that just serves my point, which is... It's only brought up generally as a plot device where it's like, oh, no, I've missed a period because I might be pregnant or I'm finally done. I'm dried up because I'm I have menopause. But it's never like it's people are afraid of it. I remember being a young girl and, you know, I 100 percent remember multiple times when I would get teased about oh, you must be on your period. Oh, gross. I remember a kid on the bus, I will never forget this, asking me something about like, oh, you guys shove tampons up there. You must like it. And me being like, it doesn't feel like anything. And him being like, why wouldn't it feel like something if that's where the penis goes when you have sex? Like, of course you'd feel it. And I didn't understand anatomy enough to explain to him why you don't feel a tampon when you have it in. I promise uh, there's a point here, which is just that there was this air of like, you're stupid. You have your period. That's gross. And like just this disgust such that women were made. uh, I, I understood implicitly that you are to hide a tampon if you're taking it to the bathroom. So no one has to see your personal business. And there's this air of like. Ooh, finger pointy, that's weird, you're gross, look at you, haha, you have a tampon. And it, it's this culture of, like, it being something to be ashamed of. Now, is that anything to be ashamed of or disgusted by? No. 
This is the nesting stuff of humanity. So they're out in the woods. They were on a mission to go. There's a mean girl, a popular girl, mm -hmm. and they're on their way, Bridget and Ginger, to make it look like M her Make it dog. look like her dog had been killed. They had a bunch of props left over from their photo essay, like some gore. And they're reaching a, a little wooded area next to a playground. And that's when one of them gets her period for the yeah. first time. Well, they stop because they stumble upon a mutilated dog. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, we can use... Well, Ginger is like, yes, we can use this. You know, we'll take the parts and yeah. whatever. They try to pick it up. It kind of falls apart. And they're like, and he's like, you've got dog's blood. It's not dog's blood. I got the curse. I got the curse. Which, let me... Um, I, I wrote down the various taglines for this film. Oh, there's more than just, they don't call it a curse for nothing? That's the best one. That's a great one. Um, one's just, she's got the curse. In the Netherlands, I guess so I guess this is translated, so they are weird. She's got the curse. Now her sister tries to save her. <laughs> okay. Uh, hungry like the wolf. <laughs> sure. And then Ginger snaps and bites. But the best one is just, they don't call it the curse for nothing. They don't call it the curse for nothing. I mean, that's a genius tagline, if I've ever heard one. And then she says, like, oh, I've got the curse. And they're both just sort of like, ew. When one of those, I'm going to say it's old style, but maybe just because I haven't been on one of these in 30 years. But there's like teeter tots of things, just a giant hard spring. Yes. That a kid will just go back and forth on. Yes. One just is just sort of like, it's like, whoa. What knocked into that? And then Ginger is taken. Rawr! And you don't see the wolf, just like a quick flash. And then you see like the swings moving because it like went in between the swings. And then what I thought was neighbors turning on their lights, which was set up a little earlier. They're walking along and all of a sudden a light turns on. And if you're from the, from the burbs, you recognize that as just like a motion detector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it kind of comes in from that angle from yep. up above. So yeah, so then... Like, she can't see the wolf and she can't see her sister, but all these, like, motion detector lights turn on and then, like, turn off again. Yeah. And her sister comes screaming out of the woods and she's all bloody and then the wolf is chasing both of them. And it's, it's all... a really freaky scene. Yeah. It's really intense. It really is. And the first time you really know that this is departing from other werewolf films is it's then killed by a van. So no silver bullet necessary. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when I caught on exactly that it was more a matter of once you turn into the wolf, you're just going to be that forever. Right. I guess when she started changing physically, because before she just started getting kind of like tendencies. I'm not Ginger. sure that ever occurred to me, by the way. Really? When I think about it, I think my brain just went to maybe it's just a slow transformation over the course of the month. And then. But in, then in the interim, she can smell things really well. Yeah. I guess, I mean, but I see your point. Like, it makes sense that that's... Just because all the other werewolf movies, usually they'll be like, why One... is the dog barking at me? Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Which this Which movie does gets. happen, for sure. And, and she starts just, you know, paralleling the puberty. She starts getting hair coming out of her werewolf scars. <laughs> yeah. Which healed very quickly. We don't know just how hairy she gets, but when the focus really shifts over to Bridget, she's finding, like, disposable razors just full of fur. 
in which the is bathroom. interesting because there's a big to do in all the special features about how the director did not want a hairy werewolf and the um the special, special effects, guy. effects guy being like i gotta have a place to hide zippers and buttons and things give yeah. me some hair it needs some hair and so ultimately it is a mostly hairless werewolf which is yeah. very frightening just like white but like weird patches of hair which is upsetting and uh looks yeah. really cool fur where there was no fur before now there's the split between the two of them because one has been infected with lycanthropy yeah and the other one is almost immediately concerned and puts it together pretty fast by the way mm-hmm. if nothing else like she, she pulls like they have a polaroid camera and it goes off during the attack but like the picture is jammed inside so she's got to like work it out and then it's just this like blurry picture of just like a portion of the wolf's head so much um, scarier than if you'd actually seen like a whole picture of it. It's yeah. just like the suggestion of what the, suggestion of the of awful thing that they faced. What could happen. Yeah. Or what is happening. And Ginger, meanwhile, doesn't want to admit that like she's cursed to be a werewolf. She's just like, no, it's hormones. And they, they go to buy tampons together. And, and that's a, a great scene. Well, the with... beautiful thing about this is these initial transformation scenes. The lycanthropy, the thing where she's like... Oh no, I think my sister is going to be a werewolf is beautifully paralleled and almost indiscernible as far as like the emotional work that's going on from just a transformation where one girl started her period and becoming hormonal and looking at boys differently and the other one's not and feels left behind. Like it works on two levels, just like the greatest storylines of Buffy where it's like, yeah, there's a big bad, there's an evil, but it's also works in tandem with like the struggles of high school. Yes. That's what's so cool. But you were talking about the the actual scenes where This is all about a relationship between two sisters. Yes. The whole thing. If there was no werewolf, I'm sure they'd still be going through something. This one comes with a free calendar. Mm. Are you sure it's just cramps? Just so you know, the words just and cramps, they don't go together. This director, I'm so impressed by him. He's got such a great eye for like... You know, he's like the way he films the wall of like sanitary products. Just it's like that's how an it looks when you're posing wall. Of that's how it products. looks when you're facing it for the first time. Like, yeah. you know, and probably for a lot of men who are just like, the hell is all like, that? She asked me to pick up some teapons. <laughs> <laughs> My stepfather, may he rest in peace, called them firecrackers. Um, okay. <laughs> um, you can use your imagination there, but um, he was very sweet and he would always buy them for myself or my mother if um, if we needed them. But yeah, he called them firecrackers and that makes me But you got to go in and guess the gauge of someone's vagina? <laughs> well, hopefully. Based they, on their personality? Hopefully they provide you with that information. In three to five days, you'll find lighter, bright red bleeding. That may turn to a brownish or blackish sludge, which signals the end of the flow. The school nurse, the scene with the school nurse, it's yes. so funny. She's got like pictures of like vaginas well, and, and stuff behind her. And her, her pains system. are rather hyperbolic because they're actually, it's actually like canthropy, but she's like, it really hurts. And she's like, mm-hmm, it's gonna. Yeah. And it's like, totally it's, normal. It's like a geyser of blood. And she's like, I know it seems like a lot. Okay, so it's all normal. Very. Expected every 28 days, give or take, for the next 30 years. I'd like to look at just how they're obsessed with death. And I was putting on a thinking cap on this one. And I was reminded, Kat, of tarot cards. Uh-huh. Where when you get death, it doesn't mean death. You know, they're like, oh, no, death. And the, and the gypsy's like, oh, no, 
death means change. Right. Like, oh, okay. Well, which one's death? It's yeah. true. It's like, which one means death if death doesn't mean death? Yeah. So I really don't picture them as really being death obsessed so much. I mean, on the surface, yes, absolutely. It seems to occupy their every other thought. But what they really want to do is just change. They're in a place where all the houses look the same. Everyone appears to be on the same path. Everyone seems to dress the same and talk the same. And really, they just want change. What they really want to do is just move to the city or, you know, sure. or something. But in the meantime, what's sort of taking the place of that yen to strike out on their own, to make their own mark, is death. You know, and a lot of teenagers, maybe not to quite the extent that Ginger and Bridget do, but I feel mm -hmm. like that's a time during which a lot of kids, and maybe this is, to your point, this is just the thing they happen to focus on. For some kids, it's a good it's way like to shake things crazy, up. Crazy, like dark, like for some kids, it's Marilyn Manson. It's like it's twenty a, years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's when I was listening to Marilyn Manson. Um, I got it. You know, but it, it's an envelope pushing thing where if you're feeling kind of stuck in whatever small town you're in and teenagers are naturally rebellious. Like what's the craziest, most different thing you can kind of do? I remember when my friend Cavallini sprayed his hair purple and that was just like spray like at school and then he went home and then the next day came back. I'm like, so what'd your dad do? And he's like, you didn't notice. Oh, he was so crestfallen. <laughs> He had dark hair to begin with. It was it was kind of a gamble anyways. Aww. But it wasn't purple for his own sake. It was like yeah. purple to be like, here you go, old man. Wanted to get a rise out of him. Yeah. Just do whatever, Dad. I'm out of here. Eventually, things reach a pitch where Bridget has to straight up say, one, I don't want to die. I don't want to become like you. I don't want to die. In a very good part, she says, I'm not going to die in this room with you. Which, Which is, is what they promised to do. What they were together. talking about in the beginning. It's a beautiful moment, I think. Yeah, so this is, I mean, if nothing else, a lot of the movie is Bridget fighting for her life and fighting for her own life. And a note that I wrote was that as of the big split, which is the menstruation immediately followed by werewolf bite, mm -hmm. Bridget evolves into someone who has to take charge and someone who has to come out and say, I don't want to die. I don't want you to die either. And when that no longer becomes an option, it just says, I'm not going to die in this room with you. I'm not dying in this room with you! I'm not dying! Whereas, as of the bite, and you can just really blame the lycanthropy on this one, Ginger becomes just a turbo version of what she already was. Mm -hmm. And that's not change. That's not personal growth. Right. Becoming just an amplified version of what you already were. Yeah. No, I love that. That's an interesting observation. Right. And we further lends proof to the idea that this is not Ginger's movie, despite the title. And despite the fact that she's like the more boisterous character from the beginning, you're right. She doesn't change. She just has an unfortunate thing happen to her and becomes a Ginger. Enhanced uh, Ginger. Yeah, ex yes. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's not enhancing anything good about her. Yeah. She does get the scene, though, which I called at the time, like, the Jawbreaker scene, which I think when this came out, Jawbreaker... I love that movie. ...was in the forefront of the slow-motion walk down the hall. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the, the scene at the Halloween party? No. When she... She's not yet transforming. Yeah, the Halloween party gets that also. But she... So there's more than one, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's when 
she starts becoming not sexier. It's not like the bite made her boobs bigger or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But she starts wearing. Oh, I know. She starts showing it off. She's showing off her midriff a little. You can see her. You know, she's not covering up. She's becoming more extroverted. Yes. And so she gets wearing form-fitting clothing, and everyone's looking at her. Yes, I forgot. She's still got that. that bird skull. Yeah. It gives her that sort of slow mo, like, "Hey, boys." Yeah. Walk down the hall, which is an end of she goes out of frame and then Bridget just sort of like sticks her head in into frame with that like, oh no, look on her face. Right. Just as like a great punctuation right. to that shot. But then again, later, you're right, during the Halloween when she is transformed, she's not all mottled, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. And gross as she will be in like one scene later. Right, but she's getting there. Yeah, it just sort of given her these really sharp features. Mm-hmm. And it made her hair like completely white. And, mm-hmm. and actually, when she takes off most of her top, you can see that like extra breasts are, and are starting to form. Like a dog, like a wolf dog. Fortunately, it's set at Halloween. I don't really think for any of the Halloweeniness, but you get some nice pumpkins in there, some nice costumes, what mm-hmm. have you. But just so you can have a couple of scenes where she's part transformed and everyone's like, hey, Ginger. Great outfit. She grabs a drink. She takes a swig out of a drink. And then she grabs a boy and kisses a boy. She's life of the party, but sexually aggressive. And it it Mm -hmm. reminded me that, like, there are several scenes in this movie. And the kind of gender politics that play out with men versus women that are kind of different and upending expectations. So, like, when... I mean, it's uncomfortable to say but and to watch, but the scene where Ginger is in the car with the guy. Hey, hey, t- take it easy, all right? We got all night. Sorry. It just tastes really good. <laughs> you know, she kind of, like, sexually assaults him. I mean, it's kind of, it's uh-huh. really uncomfortable. He's like, yeah, I'm into well, this. Well, you think and that she's just going to rip his throat out. You do, and he does, understandably. Also, he says the line to her, who's the guy here? Because he feels yeah. like she's being too aggressive. He's like, slow down here. Who's the guy? And she's like, who's the guy? And that pisses her off a lot. Rawr. So the other thing that really, like, I still can't figure out how to make heads or tails of it, and it makes me feel really sad inside, but I love that it's messy and, and dark and, like, mean-spirited in some ways because it gives this movie an edge that it might not otherwise have. What I'm talking about is there's this janitor who it's implied that he likes looking at the teenage girls, but well, that, I don't that's, think that's true. No, that's just... It's just um, this idea that... Ginger's accusation. Is it Ginger says it to begin with. Because yeah. it's mentioned earlier in the film, and I'm like... Like, well, they want to make him out to be this pervy old man. It's, it's sort of the, the but progress... there's no evidence to that. No, it's the progress of Ginger, who starts by killing animals, then graduates to almost killing a girl who then hits her head and, and they have to, like, get rid of the body. Mm-hmm. I think she's pretty. If I wasn't here, would you eat her? <laughs> then she kills the guidance counselor slash photography teacher, who it's like, well, he was a bit of a jerk. But then, then she kills the janitor. Yeah. And he was only a nice guy. All we've ever seen of him is an earlier, and like, implication that he's a pervy, which we don't even see any That was all from of. Ginger. He's, like, helping Bridget get dog blood off of her because there was a dog And she's like, carcass. oh, you like that? And it's like, there's no evidence that he likes that. Yeah, that's then all... he, like, pops into the closet when Bridget's, like, got a guy yeah, being really aggressive. He, like, saves her. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, he's a good guy. And then... Ginger, who's like almost fully, you know... In her werewolf logic. Her bloodlust is high. And she is like, yeah, this guy's, you know... It's like, well, I killed him because of this. No, he's not. Then I killed him because I like it. Right. 
And she doesn't just kill him. She, like, makes him suffer. It's really upsetting. She, like, taunts him and slams his head into the wall, like, a bunch of times. Yeah. I mean, he dies horribly. And he's not a bad guy. But I love that they go there to show just how far she... You're right. There's a progression. It shows you how, you know, how bad it gets. (laughs) He'd love it. She'd come for the ride. A little scratch. Swap some juice. We'll be our own path like before. So us be. I'd rather be dead than be what you are. I would like to not get into the ending of this movie. Okay. For anyone listening who hasn't seen it already, let me just say that it becomes a more straightforward monster movie. Sure. In the last third. And the arcs set up continue to continue until it really just gets boiled down to a story of two sisters. Mm-hmm. Which it's been the whole time. Now, Kat, you did not watch either of the sequels. No, I spent too much time reading scholarly articles. All right. But you watched uh, yes. the sequels. Yes, so I'm going to see if these are things you'd be interested in just by describing them to you. Okay, right? I'm ready. Bridget, you have a room of people pretty curious about Bridget. What's your best case scenario? Hmm? My best case scenario, Eleanor, is hair everywhere but my eyeballs. <laughs> Elongation of my spine till my skin splits, and then excruciating death. Come part two, we are now following Bridget around, and you don't see the family anymore. She kind of seems to be on the run, but she's not on the run from the law because she's still using her real name. Mm. But she seems to like spend all her time at the library, like trying to figure out how to cure herself. And the movie gets into another female thing, which is only touched on the first one, which is cutting. Mm. Cutting is a real female problem. But in this case, cutting, it's more of just a surface thing. Ha <laughs> um, <laughs> Because she's not doing it for the reasons that young ladies do, I guess. She, as you know, as the werewolf, she heals very quickly. Mm-hmm. So as she is injecting herself with the monk's hood, mm-hmm. which we never got into, they right. find what might be a cure. Right. A close cousin to Wolfsbane. Mm-hmm. And what we've left out a lot is Sam, the character of yeah. Sam, the local drug dealer slash botanist, local mm-hmm. botanist. Convenient. Um, yeah, who uh, helps out as best he can. Yeah. So she's been dosing herself with this monk's hood. But it's not fully working? It's not. I don't think you stated that Bridget what, yeah. got bitten. No, no, she doesn't. Well, she... Or scratched or something? To convince Ginger to go with her. Oh, she... Because Ginger's almost gone as a character. Yeah. To convince her to trust her, she infects herself. Right. So it's made clear that she... Yeah. She ends the movie. Oh, they cut their hands and they... they, Yes, that's right. That's how. Yeah. So that's the the whole point of me bringing that up is to say that, like, I don't think you said that in the second movie. The reason Bridget is trying to dose herself is because she's got blood in her. She's managing to stave off the transformation. And she's testing how well it's working by how fast she heals. Oh, cool. So now, but so now she's kind she's of like a these... really messed up, like allergy test. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. But it seems that she's on the run, not from the law, as you learn, but there is a male werewolf Ooh. out there looking to mate with her. Oh, geez. So wherever she goes, Ugh. it follows and is leaving behind like a path of destruction. And after the latest one, a cute library boy kind of finds her. And it's like, hey. Is he also a botanist? We never know. He just knows a lot about the books. <laughs> he doesn't last. Does he very help long. her research? He would, except the werewolf catches up with her. That's too bad. At this point. And kills him. Mm. She wakes up in a drug rehab facility and is unable to leave. Mm. Because they think she's a junkie because she's been injecting herself oh, with no. monkshood 
And it goes from there. So now she's in this sort of like girl interrupted facility for like half the movie. Okay. And then, but then like the wolf finds her again because it's like, you can like smell her wherever she is. It never says as much, but I think that wolf is Jason, the boy. We didn't say because this is a blood disease. It's also a quick jump to realize you can also get it through sexually sex. transmitted. Uh huh. It's a sexually transmitted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is werewolf. Jason the the kid, the one who she thinks she heals? Yeah. In the first one, okay. She, so it didn't work. They never say, but if it didn't work with oh, Bridget, oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Then uh-huh. potentially, potentially, it's probably him. It's probably him. At one point, somebody says like. Is he from the dark woods? And she's like, he's from the suburbs. Mm. But she never says, like, his name's Jason. My sister had sex with him. And right. he's been a werewolf for, like... I think like, that's a fair assumption to make. Fair guess. Sounds like it. But they never draw a point on it to where they're like, yeah, it's him. So I've heard this movie's pretty good. Was it fun? Yes. I guess I've heard it's all right. I think I looked on Rock It's a more straightforward horror movie. Uh-huh. The relatable parts of being a teenager are kind of gone the relatable parts of being a teenage girl we're just following this character yeah now it's more about the character okay well it sticks with some woman issues being in a woman's got it drug facility and the future star of orphan black by the way the creator of ginger snaps that Mm -hmm. first director john Fawcett, Mm -hmm. went on to be one of the creators of orphan black Oh, cool so he's doing all right great and the star uh, the, the Star of Orphan Black mm. plays a teenager who's also in the facility. Cool. Who um, has a, a pretty important part in the fate of Bridget. Two months, this Ford has been in the devil's grip, and you two little girls walk right through our door. From the creators of Ginger Snaps and Ginger Snaps Unleashed. Together forever. <laughs> Ginger Snaps back. The beginning. Then part three is Ginger Snaps Back. <laughs> Great title. Part three really says something about the fate of both their main characters when they have to start over with two new characters with the same names in 1815 Canada. Now, I liked it because you never get to see colonial Canada. You don't even get to see that. You see, you see colonial America, but that age of like forts and fur trappers... I think of America. You think of America. Shit was going on in Canada too. But besides, it's still going on in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Besides the movie Ravenous, mm. which we watched this you time to- last I, year. I didn't. You did. You told me about it. Okay. I remember. Uh huh. There's not a lot of movies about forts. You know what? Sure. I'm sure uh, in the days when the Western was king, there was plenty of movies about forts. Now though, between Ravenous and Ginger Snaps Back. They seem to be a place where men can go crazy unchecked. Mm-hmm. Due to isolation and hard times. And so these two sisters, also named Ginger, also named Bridget, come upon this fort. And the fort is being besieged by Windigos, which is basically like a Mm shape-shifting man, which can be created by cannibalism or some sin can create them. Or as we know them, werewolves. And there are the Native American characters who know a lot by Mm. virtue of being Native American. Yeah. About these beasts and how to kill them and prophecies and, and anything mystical just gets handed what, over to what's them. What's that phrase, the mystical, a movie trope phrase that basically just refers to... Lacking old ancient tomes or the internet. Yeah. You got to go to the wise old woman. I understand. I'm just saying it's Th- a... There's a trope. 
Yes, there's a trope that's but not not looked on. Yes, stereotype not looked on favorably. I think they call it the mystical Negro trope or something like uh, initially as a catch-all, but like it's any minority. Yeah, um, where they are relegated to being the role of we, like we, we you come to, to them. That yeah, we did. Our f- shining episode. Not to knock. You it's, know, it's, it's hard should... to, to get mad at the characters for being the smartest guys in the room. Mm-hmm. But they are also uh, roundly ignored. Right. Until it's too late. Sure. So you get that, and then I went into it not really knowing, well, which one's going to get bitten? Because, you know, one of them's going to get bitten. Because, well, one of them was the werewolf in part one, and the other one was the werewolf in part two. Is it the other one's turn now? It could, and then you're like, oh, it's Ginger again. Mm. So it's not time travel by any means, but there is a line from one of the Native American characters that hints at reincarnation, which I don't even know if that's a staple of Native American beliefs. Or if they just wanted to explain away why there's these two girls who look exactly and have the same relationship dynamic and have the same names as these two girls who will be around over 100 years later. That's a great question. I don't off the top of my head know. For the purposes of this movie, it just got assigned to this particular tribal belief. You boys are about to get a lesson in Native American Indian culture. Ginger Snaps stayed away from me for a while. I mean... I was working in a video store when it came out on video, and I have no memory of it. I was watching the Juno commentary where Emily Perkins plays the Planned Parenthood receptionist. Oh, wow. And like, it's been a long want, time since I saw that movie. You want condoms? They're blueberry scented. They make my boyfriend's junk smell like pie. She's got like two lines. And just in the commentary, they're like, oh, yeah, that's Emily Perkins from Ginger Snaps. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of this, Ginger Snaps. And then I looked it up. And I was like, oh, how did this get past me? And then I watched it and I was like, how did this get past me? Why am I only hearing about it now? In like 2006. Like it had been out for six years and just like never crossed my path. Yeah. It truly is something special. It really is. But you can also go a real long time without checking it out and knowing about it. Yep. So from me to you folks, uh, The Gauntlet is Thrown. Check it out. Ginger Snaps. Yes. 2000. And according to one of the many special features the Blu-ray has afforded us, the writer, she actually says she named it after the cookie. She said she was eating the cookie. Ginger Snaps. And was like, aha, (laughs) I'll give one of them red hair. Then she'll be ginger. Then she'll snap like a Mm -hmm. dog, like a wolf. So many great high concept ideas. I mean that genuinely. Coalesced in this film. From menstruation to the trials of adolescence to cookies to cookies (laughs) and around this time of year i tend to have a couple of boxes of ginger snaps around sometimes my sister will mail them to me because she knows there's a particular brand that i can't get here in california is that these that i'm looking at oh my it looks like an old-timey box have these been around for a long time i think so let's look at the uh let's look at the box here it's that very dusky orange that you'll find 
Uh, Irvin's famous spiced wafers. It doesn't look like Irvin's. It looks like Ivan's. I mean, no, you're I, right. I believe you that it's Irvin's, nope, but it's nope, just Ivan's. Oh, all right. We just call them ginger snaps because this is like the dominant brand. Like we've never said, ah, pick up some this... Ivan's famous spiced wafers. You just pick up ginger snaps. We just pick up ginger are. snaps. The, this packaging is orange and black Halloween colors. Yeah. Like it looks, it there's, looks... There's no pumpkins on it, mm. but these tend to arrive, you know, around that time, around September. Sure. They get stocked up and big, you know, wherever they're selling the gourds. I've never seen these. Good. Crack it open. Because I knew I couldn't get them in California, so it, it led me to think that, oh, it must be just like a Pennsylvania thing or like for the tri-state area. And then it got pointed out to me. One moment. Do you know this is real fine print here under the ingredients off to the uh, side? It says not for sale in California. Just California. That hurts I moved my to the feelings. I moved to the one state of the union where you can't get the ginger snaps and the orange and black box. What the hell's that all about? That sounds like some kind of family feud going back a while. That sounds like a personal problem. Uh, I should have looked it up. I think it's it's because of one of the ingredients. Like California won't allow. Oh. Um. I don't know. I think something with the molasses, unsulfured molasses. Do we just like them sulfured in here? I don't know. Something about. I don't care. Give me a cookie. These famous spiced wafers, also known as ginger snaps. Although, man, I'm really getting getting away from the goal here. Seeing as how it doesn't even say ginger. Does it contain no ginger? Open them up. Let's All see. All right. What passes for ginger snaps in Pennsylvania? Well, it's kind of like pumpkin spice. Most pumpkin spice products don't contain pumpkin. That's true. That's a big fat lie. Those look like ginger snaps to me, so. Here you go. Now, I like to eat these with... I'll pull up. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, some... that's a ginger snap. Okay, good. With some apple cider, Ooh. which I am now pouring into... This Halloween mad scientist beaker with a skull and crossbones on it, uh, which, you know what, Kat? Every year, the Halloween decorations come out, and every year, a little less gets put back in <laughs> and then gets invited to just become a part of my home decoration. Sounds about right. Pumpkins always go back in the box. Mm-hmm. That's the line in the sand. I'm not going to have pumpkins in my home all year. Skulls. Little mad scientist drink. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, if you come over here to like watch a horror movie, and then I offer you something to drink, it might just get served in a fun beaker, because that's that's what's staying out this year. My beakers. This is good. I'm gonna have another one. Mm. People would give these out for Halloween. Really? Back before everyone went crazy over like mm. tampering and things like that. If you got one of those little baggies. You know, be like Smarties, some candy, maybe a peanut butter cup. One of these would make its way into one of those little goodie bags. Nice. That you'd get while trick-or-treating. Or I've gotten just a ginger snap wrapped in a napkin. Maybe two of this brand. Uh, I have good news for you. Yeah. No, this wouldn't be as special as having your sister ship them to you, but you can order these on Amazon. What about me? And it is Ivan's. Yeah. Not only did I not look closely at the name... But I never looked closely at, like, that fine print where it just said, not for sale in California. You know, I'm not sure if I had many, if any, ginger snaps as a child. It was not a thing. This is a stuff. I'm just... You're going through it right now? Yeah. Yeah. You're having a moment. But it was definitely later in life when I had my first ginger snap. 
And I, I gotta say, they're good. Yeah. They're real good. Good cookies. Um, these for, are definitely the best. For whatever I've had. reason has become associated with autumn times and Halloween times, I guess maybe because they just go so well with apple cider, <laughs> first of all, or they're good for the Dunkin'. Sure. Like a biscotti or something. Yeah. And the colder months are when you would get a beverage. Yeah. That complements something like this pretty well. Um, Whatever the reason, I'm thankful. Yeah. For cookies. I'm sure if, if uh, once they found the pun of ginger snaps for the movie, it didn't hurt them, but it didn't rely on the fact that for some of us, ginger snaps are just sort of an autumny thing. And this takes place in the cold sure. autumn months and Halloween specifically. But like so much else in the movie, every little bit helps. Mm -hmm. All these different parallels and comparisons, really. You know. Yeah. Just juxtapositions. Yeah. That come up time and again, all just equal like one good experience. And if you look at what we do here at Boys and Ghouls, we don't tend to do a lot of like single movies. Mm -hmm. I realize this one had a couple of sequels, but we tend to go mostly by topic or... Maybe a movie will be based on a book, so we'll read the book and the movie. Like when we did The Thing, we had... Well, yeah, that was three movies a in a book. Bo yeah. Or yeah. The Shining was a book, a movie, and a miniseries. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That was two movies. Multiple iterations of the movie. And, More than and, two movies. No, three yeah, movies. yeah, three movies in a book. Yeah. Ginger Snaps? It's just Ginger Snaps. There's a lot to it, so I think it warranted a whole episode. Really, yeah. And I was uh, super glad... That you'd manage not to watch it all these years. Yeah, Despite my many recommendations. I know. Yeah. I know. For some reason. I don't know what... I had some idea of it. I don't know. I thought, oh, I should get around to that at some point. But nothing really, for some reason, compelled me. Maybe it was just like, future cat, just new. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. There's going to be a really <clears throat> good reason to watch this. So don't watch it yet. All right. Well, along those lines, uh, we've already worked out what we're going to do next month mm -hmm. even though we said we'd be doing this back in september and there's a little idea yeah we lied we didn't get around to it for two months but uh we're gonna do a little gift exchange which we did what back in like march the episode was called trading terrors trading terrors this time we'll think of some kind of a christmasy title where we give each other a movie that we've never seen before cat's gonna give one to me that i've never seen before that she loves I'm going to give one to her that I love and she's never seen before. Yep. So come back at us next month. And if you want to contact us, boysandghouls at Gmail. If you want to watch Ginger Snaps, it's on Blu-ray. I don't suppose you found it on any... Uh, I guess you didn't have to look for it on any streaming platforms. No, I was thrilled to watch the um, Scream Factory version. With yeah. a load of special features. But it's out there if you want to look for it. Mm -hmm. And online you can find us, Boys and Ghouls at Twitter. Boys and Ghouls on Facebook, uh, Pinterest, Instagram. I'm taking more of a hand at Instagram. I think you've been really busy at work. Yeah. So Marshall's been Instagramming a little more. He has, yeah. So check that out. <laughs> you may say, oh, your Instagram's lately have had a slightly different flavor. That's because it's been Marshall. Cat's <laughs> been busy. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. We're out there if you want to find us, and we always like uh, to hear from you. So please. And anything you want to add? Uh, just a warning. Oh, please. Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.